So, turn to Mark chapter 6, if you would. <laughs> Are you there? Mark 6. Mark 6. And as you arrive at that spot, just close your eyes and bow your head for just one more moment. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for, uh, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have tonight to just study freely without fear. And Jesus, we just pray that your spirit would minister your truth to our hearts tonight, God, that you would even now um, stir up that soil, Lord, in our hearts and prepare us to receive the good seed of your word, Lord. And so we thank you, Lord, that you're faithful to do that very thing. And we just pray, God, that this, is, this would turn out to be a fruitful night for all of us, myself included. We ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen. So question, as we start this text out, you can put your finger in there. We're probably not going to get to Mark 6 for just a few minutes. I just want to do a little introduction. But um, it's important to lay some groundwork. If I ask you this question, how many of you believe that God is working out his plan his perfect plan, really, in your life. How many would probably say, yeah, I think that's true. How many of you would say that? Just, you can raise them a little higher, it's okay. I think you're right. I think you're 100% right. I think he's working out his perfect plan in my life and in your life. In, in Daniel 5, he was even working out his perfect plan in Nebuchadnezzar's life, and he was an evil king. Daniel said this to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, and God... Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Even evil kings, God works out his perfect plan, whatever that is, it's uniquely his in their life. God is sovereign. And I think along with that truth, sometimes because of the way God works his ways out and his will out and his plan out in our lives, it can be a little bit confusing and even disheartening if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves. It, it can be. How many of you have had seasons in your life, and maybe tonight's one of those seasons. You don't have to raise your hands on this one if you don't want to, but how many of you have had seasons in your life that you not only questioned what God was doing in and around you, but deep, deep in your heart, you even questioned his goodness and his love. Yes, and I have two. I have two. Part of the reason I think I have experienced that particular thing is as a pastor, you know, you get, you get involved in messy situations a lot. And... I've been in situations I would have never dreamed that I would have been in. Um, difficult moments, dead babies, just people fighting disease, people fighting good people, godly people, fighting bad diagnoses, people just wrestling with stuff. And their hearts are broken. And they're just, they're just kind of bewildered is what it is. And it's just hard. I think part of the reason, and I want to talk about this tonight, that we can, that we can get in those 
kind of tense moments or seasons even with God, trying to figure out what he's doing in your life or somebody's life that you love, is that we have expectations or assumptions that we, that we just live on. And, and those expectations and assumptions that we all have, and they're not all the same, they're, they're unique to all of us individually, that's kind of how we base truth. That's kind of how we base how life's supposed to work. And expectations and assumptions aren't bad. They're not bad. I mean, not necessarily. When I go to bed at night, I have an expectation that I am going to be laying on flannel sheets. That may not mean a lot to you. How many of you have flannel sheets? Okay, how many of you don't have flannel sheets? Because you, you need to repent. <laughs> flannel sheets are God's gift to man, right? When you go to bed and it's in the winter and it's cold, you hit that flannel like it's all like perfect, same temperature. There's no cold spots. It's soft. It is so nice. Expectation. I have expectation. When I hit that flannel sheet, it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love these next seconds. I'm going to do that. When I go to Matsukaze, I have expectation that when I order the chicken teriyaki, it's going to taste like it's tasted for 34 years at Matsukaze or whatever it says in their front door, and it's going to be good. Or when I go to Taqueria on 8th Street when it's not being remodeled and I get steak fajitas, how many? Come on. Oh, thank you very much. One person. I'm not even going to talk about it. But when I get steak fajitas at Taqueria, 8th Street, I have anticipation, expectation of coming good. It's just like, oh, they're going to be good. I know what it's going to be like. I love that. I have expectations that my car is going to start, that my heater is going to run. I have expectations that if I give my grandkids the green light, they will pile on me and destroy me. I have expect- Those are good things, every one of them. We live with thousands of expectations a day that we have no sense that we're even expecting. We don't even think in those terms. But we have all these expectations that things are going to happen or not happen in our life. And we bring that into our spiritual world. And we think because we have expectations about the way life works, maybe they apply to how God works. It's just natural to do. It's just natural to do. But, well, so, so this, so God is love. Is God love? How many think God is love? God is love. I mean, that's absolutely so true. God is love. So with that truth, we have this expectation. Maybe it's quiet. Maybe it's kind of subdued that we expect him to treat us lovingly, whatever that means. We know that God is powerful. So that brings with it an expectation that nothing can overwhelm us because he's got to be more powerful than anything. Nothing will overwhelm us. We know that God is good. So we basically can expect good things to happen in our life because God's good and we're we're his kids. So that's what's going to happen. That's the way he is. But what we forget, we forget, I forget, perhaps you forget, Isaiah 55, 9. It's a huge verse. You don't have to look there. I'll just read it. For For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so here's what happens. When God's sovereignty collides with my expectations, 
it can create a storm. Like a giant high-pressure system of his sovereignty hits the giant low-pressure system of my expectations, it can just create a storm. A storm that you just can't even hardly figure out sometimes. It's just so difficult. When God's sovereignty collides with our spiritual expectations, it's a storm for our soul, and it presents a significant challenge to our faith. It can. And when our faith is challenged, then we get bewildered, forsaken, we can feel angry, discouraged, even hopeless. So what I want to do tonight in Mark 6 is I want to look at just four places really quick. Look at four times that I think God's disciples, which we are his disciples right now, that God's disciples, I think, had some expectations that collided with God's sovereignty. (laughs) And they were like going, what is going on here? Because that's what happens. So the first few verses we're going to look at are Mark 6, verses 7 through 9. Just follow along in your Bible. I'll read them. And these are going to be four challenges to the disciples' faith, and I think four challenges that would, would challenge us as disciples tonight too, just as, just as well. It says this, verse 7, chapter 6 of Mark, And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except, except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to bring, and not, I'm sorry, not to put on two tunics. So here's what happens. Here's the challenge based on this little scripture right here. Number one, sometimes it's financial challenges. Sometimes we don't have enough money at the end of the month. You ever read that? Too much month, too little money type thing. And our faith is challenged. See, the disciples, Jesus said, okay, guys, I have a job for you. I have this cool thing you're going to be doing. I'm going to send you guys out. And he goes on to talk about some things he's going to do. They went out and they preached, and they ended up casting out demons. They went out two by two, I believe. But, but he says, here's the deal. I got this mission for you. It's going to be awesome, but you can't have any money. You can't take anything with you. And they're going... Why? <laughs> Am I going to make it harder? What are, you, what are you doing here? What are you doing? We're, you're sending us on a mission, right? Yeah. You're, the mission is your mission. For you. Yeah. You can do good things for you, Jesus. Right. But no money. Nothing. Just the clothes on your back and barely that. And the disciples are going, hmm. It's weird. Because we have an expectation, and this is it. Most of us, maybe they did, that a truly generous God will always give us the means to pay our bills and to provide for ourselves. We have that expectation. A truly generous God, of which we serve, will always provide for us, right? Yeah, of course he will. But he's not providing for us. On this story... But he will provide for us. So how does that all work? It's conflicting. Because see, I know, I think I know, I know and some of them might even be here tonight, really godly people who've gone bankrupt. 
I mean, they're just doing God's will as far as I can tell, as far as I can tell. They're doing things well. They're well-intended. Things happen crazy in their life, even beyond their good planning, and they go bankrupt. And they go, well, that's so conflicting because isn't God generous? Yeah. Well, won't he provide for all your needs? He certainly could. He's generous. He's, can he just sell one of those cattle on a thousand hills for me and can I do it that way? How could I possibly need to go bankrupt? It's when our expectation collides with the sovereignty of God that our faith goes, Ugh, how does this work? It's hard. Second challenge. I call it challenge of, the self, of our self-worth. Flip maybe a page forward to verse 30 of chapter 6. Second challenge. First, financially. Second, I'm going to call it self-worth. There's probably a better thing to call it. Let's look at about four verses here. 30 through 34, chapter 6. So the apostles, just so you'll know it, they've gone out on this incredible trip, really two by two. Now they've come back to Jesus. They've done some great things. They're probably a little hungry. (laughs) It says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all the things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like a sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. I've had it happen. Sometimes God seems to be more interested and engaged with those around me than he is with me personally. So my faith is challenged. See, these disciples had done a pretty cool thing. They'd had this incredible experience. They were probably a little hungry. They come back to Jesus. He says, Hey, let's get off by ourselves. And they're, they're thinking, okay, that probably means we're going to eat. And it definitely means we're going to have some Jesus time. And we're going to be downloading all that happened. It's going to be awesome. And he says, let's go to a deserted place. So they get to the deserted place to only find it's not deserted because everybody figured it out and they beat him to the place. And he gets out of the boat. He looks at the 12 promised disciples. <laughs> time with him and he looks to the multitude strangers these are his boys these are strangers multitude and where does he go to the multitude spends time with them invests in them pours into them have you ever had that happen in your life where you think you're serving god and you probably are and you're you're doing his will and 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 yet somehow it just feels like i don't know he's not paying a lot of attention to you Seems to be talking to everybody else but you (laughs) and working through everybody else but you. I've had those times. I have definitely had those times. See, our expectation is something like this. I'm special to God because we all are. I'm special to God. And he isn't going to bless or work through anybody any more than he would me. In other words, I I should be 
I may not be his favorite, but I'm, I'm at least equal to everybody else in my love for him, my devotion to him. Certainly he wouldn't spend any less time with me, but he might. He did to them. So our expectations are challenged, our assumptions are challenged, and, and our self-worth is even challenged, and our faith is challenged. It's like, how come God's speaking through those guys? How come God's speaking to those guys? There's a guy I work with. We'll just give him a fictitious name, Glenn. Um, so we'll call this guy named Glenn. Let's just say he works at Edgewater. I, I, I've worked with this fictitious guy named Glenn for a long time, 10, 11 years, however long Edgewater's been going. He's amazing. And so I think, okay, I'm an okay pastor. I, I think... I think I'm serving the Lord. I think I'm trying. I think I am. I think there's some success. I, until you get around Glenn. And then you don't know anything. It's like God just like hardwired into that guy. Like I get like, I got like a one bar with God. Like one bar. Like, uh, yeah. Glenn's got five all the time. Just like God told me this and God's doing that. I'm going, uh, What's going on? Love the guy. And it's encouraged me and he's challenged me. Made me pray harder. He's made me he stretched my faith. God's used that man in my life. A guy named Glenn. But I think these disciples, they, their faith was challenged this day. It was like, okay, we're doing all this, and how come you're over there with them? What's that all about? Number three. Number three. Look at verse 35. We're gonna pick it up where we left off. 35 through 37. I'm going to call this spiritual challenges. So financial challenges, self-worth challenges, spiritual challenges. Verse 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Challenge number three, it's kind of, I'm going to call it a spiritual challenge. Sometimes, here it is, sometimes God asks me to do something. Pretty sure that's what he wants me to do. I have a pretty good sense through his word, just the Holy Spirit, it's kind of what he wants me to do. And I cannot figure out how to do it. I'm pretty sure of what I'm supposed to do, but I can't figure out how to do it. I, can't, I don't know how to do it. I can't figure out the means. I can't figure out the way. I kind of have kind of a little bit where I'm supposed to, I don't know how to do that. Okay, guys, feed them. Can you fathom that? It, there's 5,000 men. We know this story. There's 5,000 men that end up getting fed here, let alone who knows who else. So 12 guys, feed them. Clearly, there's your instructions. I mean, it's not, there's not any questions here. God said you should feed them. I want you guys to feed them. Okay. What do you guys think? Ideas? Anybody? Ideas? God tells you how to do, God tells you to do something. You don't know how to do it. Ain't going to happen. It's just, you can't figure it out. So why, why, why is that a challenge? Because we have this expectation this assumption that God is not the author of what? Confusion. 
So why am I confused right now? He's told me to do something. Surely I must know how to do it if he told me to do it. It's got to be more clarity than that, right? God's not the author of confusion. How come I'm so confused? But that's the real world because we have this expectation and it collides with God's sovereignty and sometimes it's stormy in that collision. What do you think Noah felt? 500 years old. You know, uh, clearly God. Got a project for you. It's not on Pinterest. This thing is a little bigger than that. I know you're 500, Noah. And I know it's never rained on the earth either, by the way. I don't even know if they had boats. Maybe they did. I don't know. But I want you to build a boat. Oh, fishing. What kind of boat? Okay. Raft, look, log raft. Meh. 450 feet long, Noah. You're 500 years old. I want you to build a 450 foot long boat. And we're going to stuff a bunch of animals in it. How do you think he felt? Clearly he knew what to do. How do you do that? Confusing, conflicting, right? We, we, we just think, oh, he built the boat. No, I bet he died inside. He died inside. And he had to work through how what are you saying to me? Or Moses, you're 80 years old. You're in Midian, which is a long ways from Egypt. And I want you to go back 80 years old. I want you to go back to Egypt. That's not easy alone. And then once you get there, I really want you to talk Pharaoh out of 3 million people. And by the way, you're the Moses that they've been looking for for 40 years because you murdered. How do you think he felt Clearly he knew what to do. But how do you do it? How are you going to do that? It's conflicting. It challenges your faith. Esther, I know you're the queen. And Xerxes is your king, your husband. But if you do it wrong, you got to get to him. Here's the thing. you got to get to him. And you got to save your people. He's going to kill. He's going to oversee the, the, the killing of your, of your nation. Uh, if you don't do it right, by the way, you're pretty much going to die. How do you do that? How do you do that? You know what to do, but you don't know how to do it. It's conflicting and it's hard. I was on a beach in Bandon years ago, and, and I felt like God said, I mean, I was, I'm pretty sure he said it. He said, he said go tell... I, I'm up at the jetty up at Bandon, and, and he says, go t- he told me to go tell somebody, didn't know who the somebody was, by the way, that he loves them. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, yeah, which somebody? There's multiple somebodies, I'm thinking. And so it just turned into this crazy story. Some of you know it. I won't go there tonight, but it turned into a crazy story. But I was walking down the beach, and I finally had to decide who the somebody was. And it was an important somebody, and it was a message that needed to be shared. But initially, it was like confusing and conflicting. And I had this spiritual, just like, God, you didn't really say that, did you? Yeah, did you? Did you really? We can have those spiritual challenges. I think the disciples did. Go feed the people then. My ideas, anybody? 
Faith is, you can hear the faith crumbling in their souls if you had ears to hear. And the fourth challenge, so financial, self-worth, spiritual, last but not least, Mark 6, 45. This is after he'd fed, Jesus had fed, ended up feeding the 5,000 men. It says that immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Sometimes God clearly sends us in a direction like the last point. But it's not a matter of how to do it. It's just easier. You're going to do it. I want you guys to cross the Sea of Galilee in a boat. Go to Bethsaida. Not hard. Got it. Get in the boat. Clearly doing God's will. Storm comes. It gets as crazy as crazy can be. They're fearing for their lives. And they're thinking, well, what in the world? God told us to do this, and we did it. We're doing it, and we're going to die doing it. And it's just so weird. It's just so weird. It's so freaky, and it's so challenging to your faith. Because I think, because what's why? Because our expectation, here's our expectation. A loving God would never send us on a mission and then allow that mission to freak us out or fail. We have that assumption. A loving God would never send us on a mission and then allow that very mission to freak us out or fail. That's our anticipation. So it, so it, it collides with God's sovereignty. <laughs> and, and, and our faith gets like beat up. It's challenging. I've talked to godly folks a lot of times. Godly folks, some of you, and you said, man, I, I really believed God spoke to my heart through his word, through another person, through the spirit. Anyway, and God wanted me to do this. I'm pretty sure it was confirmed. I really felt like I was doing this thing that God wanted me to do. And you know what? When I did it, it freaked me out and it failed. It failed. God sent me to do something and it failed. And I don't know what to do with my My faith is just blown up. Did I not hear him? I mean, how's that working? What's going on? God wouldn't do that. Faithful. God's not going to make a mistake. I know he told me. It's so conflicting. I've seen people that have been in that exact scenario. Good people, godly people. It's hard. So what's God doing in all these challenging scenarios? Here's the thing, guys. We'll wrap it up in just a little bit. What's he doing? He's doing a hundred beautiful things. He's probably doing a thousand beautiful things. But I'll mention three for sure. Three. I'll tell you three things he's doing for sure in these scenarios that are just conflicting and hard and, and challenge our faith and make faith scratchy. One thing is this, and it's in the next, it's in these verses. I'm going to read them again. 47, 48. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. 
Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. I'll tell you three things for sure that are happening no matter what this faith scenario looks like. Number one, God is always, always watching you. He will never take his eyes off of you, ever for one moment. Never, ever, ever will he take his eyes off of you. Not for a second, not for a moment. Nothing will distract him from you. Every breath you take, every move you make, it should be a song. He's always watching over you. Psalm 34, 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. God is always, always, always watching. No matter where you're at in your faith life right now, I can guarantee you God is watching you. He will not take his eyes off of you. Not for a moment. Not for a moment. Number two, Mark 6, 46 And when he sent them away, he departed to the mountain to what? To pray. Number two, God is always, always, always completely involved in interceding for you. Always. Every moment you breathe, every, every, every moment you have on this earth, God is praying for you. God is watching you. That's the way he is. He continually lifts his children up in prayer. He never, ever, ever, ever quits interceding for you. He's not, he doesn't pray like us. When the Bible says pray without ceasing, who does that? One being. It's not us. Who is it? It's God. God prays without ceasing for you. Every one of you. He prays for you continually. He watches over you continually. He's really the only one that really knows what you're going through. Hebrews 7.25 says this, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Or Romans 8.26b, the second part of it, the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that can't be uttered. God always is watching you. God always is praying for you. No matter where you're at in your faith conflict, wherever you're at tonight, He's always watching. He's always praying. Number three, it's Mark six forty eight. Again, then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Number three, absolutely guaranteed of the hundred beautiful things God's doing in your life, even if you're struggling in faith, he's coming. <laughs> he's coming to you. Guaranteed guaranteed he's coming to comfort you if you're in a conflict of faith, even tonight. Guaranteed he's coming. He's watching, he's praying, and he's coming to console you and to comfort you because that's who he is. He couldn't not do that. He's so in love with you. He's so in love with you. We can say he's coming again, and he is, and that's important. But he's coming before again. <laughs> when we think coming again, we're thinking of the big coming, right? The, everything changes. But he's coming again all the time for us. It's always coming again and again and again and again. Why? Because we need him. We need him to come again and again, to comfort, to console, to direct us. The Bible says he'll never leave us or forsake us. So, 
So why all the drama then? What's God doing here? Why this conflict of our assumptions and expectations? Why is this collision of sovereignty versus those things? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you one reason why. There may be a hundred reasons why. There may be a thousand reasons why, but I'll tell you one really important reason why. I want to focus on it for just a second and we're done. Why does God allow us to be so challenged in our faith from time to time? Because the quality of our faith is of the highest importance to him. The quality of your faith, the quality, the purity, the quality is of the highest importance to him. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Jesus is, some of you know this verse, is the author and what? Finisher of our, what? Faith. Again, again, he's the author. He's writing your faith story. Not you. God is writing your faith story. You're not the author and he's the finisher. God is the author and God is the finisher of your faith. He is writing your faith story and he will finish his, his story And he does not finish anything without fire. God finishes with fire. And who of us, if we were honest, would sign up for fire? I wouldn't. Not if we're honest. Not if we're honest. None of us would sign up for the fire that faith has to go through. So God creates a conflict. And he challenges our expectations through his sovereignty and then we have this situation, don't we? And what's going to happen? Is our faith, are we going to allow our faith to be refined? Is God still good even though I don't get him? Is God still good? God's good all the time. We just get a little confused because we think God's good and does good, so my life should be good, but God's looking for your eternal good. And that's not necessarily your today good. It's a little different. In fact, it's a lot different. God's looking for your eternal good. That's his, that's, his, that's his end game, your eternal good. And to see you get, have the greatest eternal good, your faith life on earth is really important to that process. God finishes everything with fire. When you, when you have a, I'm not a pottery guy, but, but you know, you get that old pot looking like you're supposed to you want to look, I guess, right? And soft and pliable. It's still not much value unless it's been fired. That really gives it its ultimate beauty and strength is the firing of the clay. God finishes with fire and he's the author and finisher of your faith. When you get to heaven, when I get to heaven, when we get to heaven, the quality of your faith, if you'll allow him to fire it and not run, if you allow him to fire it and believe that God is good, if you allow him to fire your faith, because he's going to, <laughs> whether you allow him to or not, he's going to fire your faith. So I'd say wisdom would say then lean into it instead of opposing it. But the quality of your faith, which only God can measure, is going to matter for eternity. When you get to heaven, the quality of your faith on earth is going to matter to you. It's going to matter for eternity. It's going to have something really important to do with eternity. And I don't know what it is. I don't know. But I know it's going to matter. (laughs) That's why it matters to God today. He's going to put a fire to your faith. He might be doing that right now. 
Maybe this week, maybe this year has been a fiery faith for you where things just don't, you can't figure out what God's doing. It's your anticipation, your, your expectations colliding with his sovereignty. First Peter 1, 6 and 7, last verse I'm going to read, two verses. Write down that. If you're a note taker, write down this. If there's nothing you write, write down this ver- these verses. First Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Here it is. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is building faith. He's purifying faith in each one of us. He does it with fire. I wish he did it with bath water. I wish he did it with ice cream. I wish he did it with flannel sheets. I wish he did it with anything but fire. But you know what he's chosen? Four-letter word starts with F, ends in ire. Fire. Growing up, everything was don't play with what? Fire. God plays with fire. Only he has great purposes for fire. Fire does great things in life. So God's doing a great work in you. He wants to. He's looking for your eternal good. He's purifying your faith. So just remember, when God's sovereignty, and he will always be sovereign, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, collides with our expectations, our assumptions about the way God works, that's called a storm. (laughs) So often, not all the time. But some of the time, some of the time. And there's some of you here tonight, it would be wrong not to pray for you. There's some of you here tonight, I just want to pray for you before you take off. We want to pray for you. And who am I talking to? I'm talking about people here tonight that if you're really, really honest with yourself, tonight anyway, maybe this last season, your faith has been waning. It has just been thin. It is thin and waning. And you just want God's touch in your life. And you want to see an increase in faith. You want to see a purifying of your faith. You want to see God rightly again. You want to allow God to be sovereign. I just think we can't go tonight unless we give an opportunity to pray for you. Because it's really important. Jesus said, at that great feast in Jerusalem, my house is to be a house of what? Prayer. I don't think there's any difference with the house tonight. So this is what I'd like you to do if you're bold enough, brave enough. He said, I want you to just kind of raise that hand up and say, I'm one of those people, man or woman, that just says, I, I tell you, I, my faith is in crisis. And if that's you, just raise your hand a little bit like that. Just do that. And if you're around anybody like that, right there, I just want you to lay hands on somebody whose hands are raised, if you would, if you're around them. And I want to pray. Because God wants to touch you tonight. God wants to touch you tonight in very practical ways, beautiful ways. It's not too late. Anybody else? Your faith, if you're honest, just kind of, ooh, back there in the back, good. Right back there. Anybody else over here? Nope. All right. Then let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that tonight you want to touch 
lives and hearts and souls, Lord, that really are being challenged deeply in their faith. And God, that touch tonight is even physical with the body of Christ touching right now those, those bodies. And Jesus, we just pray that you would do an amazing work in the lives of each of these folks, Lord, who have raised their hand. That God, even as you're purifying their faith, that they would embrace that purification. That they would allow you to, to come and bring them peace again. That God, you would reestablish their walk with you. And that, God, there would just be just kind of a new page, a whole new season uh, opening up right now, even tonight, Lord, because of these simple prayers. And so, Jesus, thank you that you're a God that's willing and able to increase our faith and to, and, and to do these amazing things for us, Lord. We're your disciples, Lord. We get conflicted and we get confused. All of us do. And if we're not there tonight, we will be soon enough. And so, Lord, help us all. Help us all when the fire comes to allow you to purify faith. Help us, God, allow you to be sovereign because I think that's so important. So God, help us, we pray. Empower us tonight. Fill us. Bless these that have raised their hands, particularly Jesus. And just come to them and comfort them and bless and reestablish them in every good way. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.